Well, speaking of God's awesome work, um, today uh, we have the special privilege of opening God's Word together once again and continuing our sermon series in, uh, in uh, the uh, Ten Commandments, the Ten Great Freedoms. And today uh, is a special day for me personally because uh, my dear friend and brother in Christ, Pastor Stephen, is going to be bringing the message to us this morning. Uh, if you weren't here last week, we shared the news with our church that Pastor Stephen and his family have accepted a call to uh, the Evangelical Free Church in Cannon City, Colorado. Uh, he is going to be leaving in August to go and uh, take the position of senior pastor there. And uh, Stephen and his family have been with us for five years. Uh, they've been a huge part of our church and uh, have just ministered so faithfully and blessed us so regularly. Uh, man, we're going to miss these guys so much. Uh, August 6th is going to be their last Sunday with us. Pastor Stephen will be preaching that morning for us. And then uh, that evening, we're going to have a special open house to uh, come together and just celebrate them and send them off with our, our love and appreciation. But uh, today, uh, we have the blessing to hear from Pastor Stephen. So I'm going to pray, and let's just ask that the Lord would uh, open his word and uh, humble our hearts as we receive it, and that he would speak through Stephen to encourage us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, just what an awesome God you are. We thank you for the opportunity to have a, a vision of what took place on that recent mission trip and the way that you were so powerfully at work in the lives of our students and our adults who are part of that. Lord, we thank you just for the, the amazing testimonials that we've heard of how uh, you not only worked in our team members' lives, but Lord, the, how you just really blessed and encouraged the people there in the town that they were serving. And uh, we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that that experience, Lord, would continue to bear fruit there in Kentucky, but also, Lord, in the lives of our students and adults and in our church, Lord, that we would continue to be a church that has a heart for missions and a heart for service. And, uh, and that the experience of our friends who are a part of that team might just continue to filter out through the rest of our body here and encourage more of us, Lord, to uh, take up the call to be your hands and feet and to be ambassadors for the gospel uh, here in our community and uh, wherever you may lead and call us, Lord. And now, Father, as we have a chance to open your word, uh, once again, continuing our series in the Ten Commandments, these ten great freedoms, Lord, I just want to pray that you would bless uh, Stephen as he brings our wor your word to us. Uh, Lord, give him wisdom, uh, give him uh, clarity of thought, give him the words to share, and again, Lord, humble our hearts as we uh, listen to your word and uh, seek to apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning. So names, names are a significant thing. Um, I always, always really enjoyed the process of, uh, of working on what we were going to name our children. We have four kids. Um, first three were girls. So, uh, which you would think that as you continue to have girls, it would get harder and harder. And maybe it was for, maybe it is for some. But, uh, but it was actually, they, they, they kind of rolled off the tongue. They were a little bit easier for us. Um, Hannah, Sophia, and Evangeline, and uh, each one had meaning and significance for us, and, uh, and it just kind of came to us pretty early in the process, really, once we knew we were having girls. And then our fourth is a boy. And uh, I mean, you would think at that point, after having three girls, it's like, oh, well, there's so many boy names out there, this should be easy, right? This shouldn't be shouldn't be difficult. I mean, surely over the past however many years, you've been thinking about boy names, too. But we hadn't. Um, and, and honestly, it was way harder than what we expected. 
hard enough that, that the birth date came and, and went, and we still didn't have a name for our boy, and we, we continued to wrestle through it. In fact, his, his first official name, it's official because it went on Facebook, was, uh, was Batman Skywalker Moore. Um... <laughs> uh, because we couldn't think of anything else, and we figured, I mean, you can't go wrong with that. If it ends up sticking, that's a win. Um, uh, eventually, eventually we, we, did, we did downgrade that name to Asher Thomas Moore instead, um, though, though, though many people still refer to him as Batman Skywalker. <laughs> Names are a significant thing. They're a significant thing. And, and if it's true, I mean... The names that we, that we have for our kids, our names, these are things that typically stay with someone for the entirety of their life. It ends up encapsulating them. It ends up being a placeholder as people think about that person. It's a significant thing. And if that's true about us, how much more true is it about God, about God and about his name? As Pastor Jason mentioned, we've been going through a series on the 10 great freedoms, or, uh, or you could refer to them as the 10 commandments. And today we're, uh, to today we're beginning the third commandment. Now, the 10 commandments are interesting because most of us, most of us are pretty familiar with them. I mean, we might not be able to, uh, to count them down. We might not know all the order and have it all memorized, but most of us are generally familiar with them. And not just us who are in the church, but even culturally speaking, many people are quite familiar with the Ten Commandments. Um, and so, though, though they might be familiar with them, that doesn't mean they necessarily have a great understanding of what they mean. And I think that's true even for us as well. And in fact, I would go so far as to say that if there's one commandment that I think is more commonly misunderstood, I would argue that it's the one we're actually looking at today. I would argue that this one, the third commandment, is the one that's most commonly misunderstood and misinterpreted and misapplied. Um, when in reality, the third commandment really should have dramatic consequences for how we live our lives. So today, I want to take time to look at the third commandment and talk about what it means to take the Lord God's name in vain. We're going to read this morning. Our passage is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. This is going to be a really short reading, but, uh, but, but we'll read God's word together. Again, that's Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I, I do thank you for this time that we can be in your word, Father, that we can hear your voice speaking to us, Father, where we can, where, where God, you, you lay out your will for us so, so clearly. Father, I pray that your words would resound in our heads, Father, that we would meditate on them, God, that we would delight in them, Father, that they would nourish our souls like trees stranded, planted by streams of water. Father, that we would not leave this here this morning, but God, that we would take your word with us throughout today, throughout tomorrow, throughout the entirety of our week and our lives, God, and that your words would change us God, please just minister to us with your words this morning. Let your spirit be active, applying them to our hearts. God, we pray all this through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. 
Now, again, our, our, our commandment this morning is pretty short, and I think, again, to many, to many of us, the commandment seems pretty obvious. Do not take the Lord God's name in vain. We all kind of know what that means, right? At least it, commonly, commonly when we talk about the application of this, we commonly mean something like don't swear using God's name or, or, or don't use God's name in some kind of a flippant fashion where you're just kind of wasting it. Or, uh, or, or it can even be extended, not just, to, not just to the word God, but even to other words that might have derived from God, like gosh. Um, I still remember as a kid, my, my, my parents, like, I knew this commandment. I don't know that I was any good at the other ones, but I knew this commandment. And so I was really careful. I was raised to not, to, to, to not use God's name flippantly. But then I remember being shocked one time when I, I, I think I said, geez, in front, of my, in front of my dad. And my dad called me out for it and said, well, that, that comes from Jesus. And I said, I, I had no idea. I didn't know that I was using God's name in vain. Um, so so, so that, that's, the way, that's the way I think we commonly see it applied. But I, I think that there's a bigger meaning. I think that there's a bigger meaning to this. Um, when we think about it, when we think about it, right, God has already given two commandments. We've already seen two things laid out. We've seen that, that there should be no other gods before, before me, and we've seen that we should not make any idols. We should not make any idols and worship them. All right, so these are two really significant commandments that reframe all of life, that reframe how you live and how you operate and how you do things. So then let me ask, let me just ask this. Would it make sense for God to follow up those two hugely significant commandments with a command that, oh, and don't say this word. Uh, I mean, you can say it, but if you're not really sure that you mean it, then don't say it. Would it make sense? I mean, part of me really wants that to be the entirety of the application because I'm a really good legalist. I'm a really good legalist. If that's all it amounts to, I can avoid saying that. I'm gonna be really good at avoiding saying that. In fact, generally in my life, I've been really good at not using God's name flippantly and taking it quite seriously when I do use it. In fact, even before I was a Christian, I was really good at not taking God's name and using it flippantly. I'm really good at that. So the legalist in me wants to cheer that on. I mean, the other nine commandments, yeah, definitely failing at. But this one, <laughs> this one I've got down. However, however, I think, I think that maybe this commandment isn't quite so superficially understood. Not to say that that isn't part of the meaning of this commandment, but I think that there's something much deeper here. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What does that, what does that in vain actually mean? What is God talking about when he says this? Well, the textbook definition of the Hebrew behind in vain simply means empty or vain or false or worthless. It's as though it's, as though it's being wasted or profaned. It's as though it's being wasted or profaned. So taking something that has an inherent kind of intrinsic value to it and then wasting it, making a mess of it. Be like, uh, it'd be like going to the Lindstrom Bakery and getting one of their Scandinavian donuts. If you haven't had them, they're amazing. Um, they're amazing. Taking, getting one of the Scandinavian donuts, being really excited to eat it, and then just throwing it on the ground. 
and wasting, something, something that would have been so valuable and now it's trash. Well, honestly, I'd still probably eat it. But for some of you, for some of you, that donut would now be trash. You have, you have used that donut in vain. And notice, and notice, it's interesting here, our commandment doesn't say anything explicit about speaking either. Look at the, look at the commandment again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It doesn't say anything about speaking. The Hebrew here behind that word to take literally means lift or carry. And it can have a really broad application, a really broad range of meaning. So that, so that take is a good translation or use would also be appropriate. Do not use the Lord, uh, the Lord your God's name in vain. Um, it can, it can refer to speaking, but it's not limited to speaking, it can be used much more broadly, and so as we look at the way as we look at the way this commandment is used other places in the Old Testament, we actually see something much broader than just speaking. So, looking at a few verses, Leviticus twenty four sixteen, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. Very harsh consequences for using God's name in vain. All the congregations shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So there, the focus is speaking, is cursing God. It's not just using it flippantly, but it's actually, it's actually declaring a curse on God. Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. So here it's talking about making a false oath in God's name, making a false oath in his name. It'd be like, I, I promise you, I swear to you, I will do this, God help me. It would be something similar to that because apparently it wasn't enough for me just to say that I would do it. So I, I, I invoke God's name just to prove, typically I'm a liar, but this time, this time I'm gonna follow through. That would be another form of using God's name in vain. Jera, and in fact, in fact, we see even Jesus commenting on this, uh, on this usage of using the Lord's God name in vain in the Sermon on the Mount, and we see James use it in the New Testament. Jeremiah 23, 25, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. Okay, so this would be an occasion of using God's name in vain where a prophet is declaring that they have a message from God. God has, has given me this message for you, but it's not true. It's not true. God hasn't actually given them a message. Um, sometimes I think we fall into this trap even today when we declare God has led me to do this, this, and this, and maybe he has, but I mean, that, that's a really bold statement to say that God has led me to do this, this, and this. Unless, of course, he appeared in a burning bush and declared to me, you should do this, this, and this. If he, if he appeared in a burning bush, then I would feel fairly confident saying God has led me to do this. Otherwise, I might be a little bit hesitant and maybe just say, I feel like he's leading me in this direction. But who knows? I could be wrong. It could be that thing I ate last night that's now giving me an upset stomach that's leading me to do such and such. Leviticus 18.21. This is, and again, this is a very unique one. So the first three that we've looked at have all kind of revolved around various types of speech and speaking. 
but Leviticus 18, 21 is a departure. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. What is this talking about when it says you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch? That's talking about child sacrifice. Moloch was a, was a pagan Canaanite god. God was warning the people, that, the people of Israel, that they should not follow the practices of the, of the Canaanites and practice child sacrifice. Apparently, child sacrifice is a form of taking God's name in vain. All right? Again, very big departure from simply speaking. Leviticus 22, verse 2. Speak to Aaron and his sons so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name. Here it's talking about requirements that God has placed on Aaron and his children not to touch certain elements that were used in worship or to handle things rightly. They were to be careful. Again, using God's name in vain here is not so much about what they say, it's more about what they do. So we see this concept applied really broadly from cursing God to swearing false oaths in God's name to unlawfully touching things to falsely claiming divine prerogative and even to committing child sacrifice. All of these, all of these are forms of taking God's name in vain. Now, again, it can include, it can include using God's name flippantly but it's not limited to that. It's actually much bigger. It can refer to speaking, thinking, or actions. And at its heart, at its heart, it's using or bearing God's name in such a way as to profane or to make God seem like nothing to you. Using God's name in such a way as to profane or make God seem like nothing. When he is so great, when he is so mighty, at root, it's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy, behavior that contradicts what we actually claim to believe in. It's hypocrisy. It's living in such a way that is out of accord with who God is. To be associated with God, to be his people, but to live in a way that flagrantly is out of accord with his name. That's what it means to take the, Lord's God, the Lord God's name in vain. So while the first commandment is really focused on who we worship, and the second commandment is really focused on how we go about worshiping that one, this third commandment's really about how do we live in light of the one that we worship? How do we live before the one that we worship? What does life, what does the life of the people of God look like? The people of God had been invited into relationship. God has made a covenant with them. He has declared himself to be, to be united to them and in relationship with them. And with that come certain expectations about what does it look like to be God's people. Just, just as is the case in every relationship. In every relationship, there are certain expectations about what it means for us to be related to one another. Husbands and wives, there are certain expectations about what being a husband and a wife looks like. There are certain expectations, and 
we'll call them rules, I think that's what my wife tells me, um, about how I'm supposed to conduct myself with my wife and how I'm supposed to relate with her, what I can do and what I can't do and what it should look like, and et cetera, et cetera. There are expectations, and that is the same way. That is the same way in our relationship with God. There are expectations about how we are to live and how we are to operate in this world in light, in light of the relationship that we enjoy with him. God's people are expected to live lives that reflect God's name to the world. But why his name? Why his name? Why, why is this such a significant thing? Why, why is it that taking his name in vain or using his name hypocritically, uh, why does that matter so much? What is in a name? Well, I mean, again, in our culture, I mean, we care about names, right? I mean, I already shared that trying to think of the names of my children was a very significant process for us. Again, with my girls, it was easier. With my boy, it was harder, but still significant. But, but we tend to view names slightly differently than what they did in the ancient world. Um, Unless your name is Batman Skywalker, names, names usually aren't chosen today due to, due to their meaning or anything like that. We largely, we oftentimes, culturally speaking, choose names based on how cute they are, right? If it sounds good, then we like the name. It gives me warm, cozy feelings, and I want my kid to give me warm, cozy feelings. So I choose the cute name for my child, right? Uh, that's how we often choose it. Sometimes, sometimes there will be a little bit more significance, like, oh, well, I don't like this name because, well, I, I, I knew a guy one time, or I knew someone who had this name, and they were horrible. So clearly, I'm not going to name them that name, right? So, so, so sometimes, sometimes we'll go down that track of, well, we definitely can't use that name. Um, so, so, so maybe that's a little bit more significant. Or sometimes, some people, we choose names that are based off of people in our families, people that we really respected, people in our lineage, that we can look back and say, that person was very significant. That's, that's where Thomas came from, in Asher Thomas. That was my grandfather's name. So a very significant name for me. And, and as we name our kids that, we often think, okay, there are certain qualities that I want them to reflect with that name that hopefully gets passed down. And that's probably getting about the closest to the ancient mindset. Um, in the ancient mindset, you would, name your, you would name your child based on what you wanted them to be like. The name was almost like a blessing, almost like a blessing. I'm gonna name you this, and it means this, because I want you to be this way. Now, think about it. Now, think about it. God's name is the name that he gave himself, right? Exodus 27, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This isn't, this isn't a name that was assigned to him. This is what he named himself as a reflection of who he is. Um, the name here that's being spoken of, the name is not just the name God, right? It's the name Lord. Notice in the text, it's in, it's in all caps. What does that mean? Well, that actually refers back to the Hebrew word Yahweh, Yahweh, which we, we see our first, we, we, we see it first, um, God embrace it for the first time in Exodus chapter three, verses 13 through 15. We see, we see Moses, or we see God appearing to Moses, and Moses said to God, if I come to the people, God at this point in time has commissioned Moses 
to go and to be about the work of delivering, of delivering God's people from the land of Egypt. And Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them that the God of your fathers who sent me to you, I'm sorry, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, again, notice all caps, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered through all generations. Right? This is a significant name. This isn't just over the course of a lifetime. This is over the course of, this is forever, 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 on and on. This is the way God wanted to be identified by his people Israel as, again, Lord, all caps, is Yahweh. As Yahweh. Um, now, n- notice the wordplay here. Yahweh, the Lord, and he mentioned several times in verse 14, I am who I am. I am has sent me to you. The reason for that is because the the name Yahweh is actually built on the Hebrew word that means I am. Yahweh comes from the Hebrew expression I am. So when God was declaring himself to be Yahweh, he was declaring himself to be I am. It refers to God's absolute being, his absolute being. He just simply is. He's not, he's, not, he's not a past tense. He's not a future tense. He's just an is. Um, he's not bound by time. He's not bound by creation. But he is sovereignly independent of all things. He is unchanging, unbound, and absolutely radically free. That's what God wanted his people to know about him. As God sought a description, a one-word description of who he was, this is what most appropriately fit him. And then we have this interesting case in Exodus 33. In Exodus 33, uh, verse 19, this is, this is in response. God, at this point in time, Moses has asked God to see his glory. We spoke about that recently. Moses has asked God to, to see his glory. And he said, and God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and, pro- and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. So what has he said? He said, my glory is gonna pass before you and I'm gonna declare the name. I am going to declare the name over you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I, show, whom I will show mercy. So God says, okay, in a very modified sense, but to do this, you're going to see my name pass before you. I'm going to declare my name over you. Because when we hear God's name, when we hear it, it's such an encapsulation of who he is that we actually see a reflection of him. To know God, to see his glory, to be in relationship with him was to hear his name. So in that regard, God's name reflects who he is. It reflects who he is. It's not arbitrary. It wasn't assigned to him by someone who didn't know him in the hopes of what he might become. Um, It wasn't chosen because it was just really cute. It it was chosen because he assigned it to himself 
to reflect his very being to his people that he was in relationship with. And consequently, we see it then, kind of, we see it go back and forth between, in the Old Testament, talking about the name, to talk about the name is to talk about God. Psalm 8, 1. O Lord, again, notice it's in all caps, Yahweh. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Or Psalm 29, verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name, Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. Or even, even the song that we just sang a few minutes ago, praise the name of the Lord our God, praise his name forevermore, right? Our, 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 to praise his name, to make much of him, for his name to be majestic, for their glory due to his name, all of those things are true because when we say those things, we're talking about him, to bless his name is to bless God. And the opposite is also true. To curse his name is to curse him. To use his name flippantly is to be flippant about him. To live in a way that contradicts his character and out of accord with your profession is to use his name in vain. It's not so much that there's something magical about the name. I'm not arguing that there's something magical or intrinsically value about the name itself. What we're arguing here is that this is a reflection of who he is. So it's interesting that as the Jewish tradition developed after, after the Ten Commandments, we see, we see that an actual development kind of in this thinking that there was something intrinsically almost magical about the name itself to the degree that Jews largely stopped saying the name, the name Yahweh. They actually avoided saying it altogether. That wasn't originally true, but it certainly developed into that. And in fact, not only, not only did they not want to say the name Yahweh, but they also got to the point where they didn't want to write it either. So, so they actually intentionally began misspelling it just to protect themselves from accidentally falling into violation of the third commandment and accidentally saying or profaning the name somehow. So, so, so they, they, they began to intentionally incorporate typos into the spelling of God. Um, but I, I think it's missing the point. I think it's missing the point of what it actually means to take God's name in vain. It's not just about using the name or rightly using the name. Rather, it's about abusing and wasting the name. The third commandment is ultimately, is ultimately about how we live before the great I am about how we live before the great I am. It's not just simply about using or saying the name. I, uh, it was interesting. In, in my last church, I had, I had a congregant, a um, really neat woman, loved Jesus, um, phenomenal. She, uh, she approached me one Sunday and uh, g- gave me a very mild rebuke because of the way I close out my prayers um, because I don't typically close them out with we pray this in the name of Jesus. And, and so she was concerned, she was concerned that by not closing out my prayers in, in the name of Jesus, that my prayers wouldn't actually be answered because there's a right way to close out prayer. And if you don't do it in the right way, if you don't follow the formula, then it's, then it's not effective. Then God maybe won't answer. And, and very, very sweet, very sweet woman, right? And it was a very mild rebuke. Um, but you can kind of see what's happening there. There's this concept of the name of Jesus 
And it has some kind of a magical, almost intrinsic power that if you follow the formula, if you do this right, then you can get what you want in prayer. But I don't think, I don't think that's the way God operates. I don't think that's what he wants from us. I don't think there's something intrinsic about these names in and of themselves. I think it's more a matter of the heart and what these names actually mean or reflect. When we talk about Yahweh's name, when we talk about the name of God, we're talking about God himself. We're talking about God himself, not just a name. That wasn't the point of the third commandment. It's not about trying to stop us from speaking God's name. It's not, and I mean, if, if you think about it, if you think about it, I mean, the original context in which this was given, where Moses is given the Ten Commandments, it's probably not the case that there were Israelites walking around just flippantly using Yahweh's name left and right. It's not like an Israelite dropped a log on his foot and yelled out, oh, Yahweh, something like that. Like, that probably wasn't a thing. It wasn't just about using the name flippantly. As we saw previously, there were a number of ways the name could be misused, but most of them boil down to this concept of hypocrisy and not living the life of obedience that God has called his people to. Um, rather, not taking him, not, 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 making, not making much of him the way that we are called to. Not as though he doesn't matter, not in vain. Because he is the great I am, the one who is eternal, unchanging, independent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-present. He is the creator of all things, every single intricate detail in this universe. In fact, not only did he create, but he also continues to maintain and sustain all things. Every single detail continues to exist only because he consciously wills it to exist. The reason why, as far as I can tell, each of you in this room has a nose is because he consciously wills for you to have a nose. If he didn't, then you would no longer have a nose because he sustains absolutely everything by, the, by his power. So he continues to preserve all things. And this same God, this same God who only about 50 days, only about 50 days previous to giving this command, had just rescued his people from Egypt. He had just delivered them from the most powerful nation in the world so that at this point in time, all the nations are abuzz, that the most powerful nation in the world had just been defeated by a group of slaves, or not really so much a group of slaves, but the God of a group of slaves. And now this God who sustains all things, created all things, is absolutely all-powerful and maintains and sustains their noses. This God wants to enter into relationship with them. He's invited them into relationship with them and he's told them what it means. What does it look like to be my people? He has freed the people to make much of him and to live lives free from hypocrisy. Now, the danger, the danger of continuing to live a life of taking the Lord's God in, Lord's God in vain is spelled out in the last half of verse seven. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless. Jesus illustrates this for us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verses 22 to 23. There, Matthew 7, 22 to 23, we have Jesus describing the last day, the day of judgment. And he says, on that day, many will say to me, 
Lord, Lord. Now, this is kind of cool. Um, so, so again, Lord in all caps in your Old Testament it means Yahweh, right? So in the New Testament, which is written in a different language, which is written in Greek, um, the way it got translated through was kurios, or in your English, it would just simply say Lord. So, so when it says Lord, Lord here in Matthew seven twenty two. Um, it's not just saying sir or anything like that. It's, it's actually Yahweh. It's actually Yahweh. It's the proper name of God. So, so here we have people on the last day in the judgment standing before Jesus, standing before Jesus calling him Yahweh, calling him Lord, Lord. Um, it's said twice because that's the way they did emphasis in the ancient world. If you really wanted to get a point across, you said it multiple times because there was no bold or italics or maybe you could underline, but that wasn't a common thing. Um, so you said it twice, Lord, Lord. So these are people with good theology, good theology. They are rightly declaring Jesus to be Lord. They are rightly declaring him to be God. And what do they say? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? They provide a resume. They provide a spiritual resume of what their life has looked like. And it's pretty fantastic. So we're talking about exorcisms and prophesy and miracles and these are all things that they've done in God's name. And yet, and yet, what is his response? And then I declared to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a chilling indictment. That's a chilling indictment. These are people with good theology who have done good works and now God declare, Jesus declares, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me. What a terrifying thing to imagine hearing, hearing on the last day. They were involved in ministry. They've even seen God bless their ministry. And yet, how does he respond to them? He condemns them. And he gives them two reasons for this condemnation. He gives them two reasons, and those two reasons end up being our final application points. These two reasons that he provides for why they are condemned end up being our application. The first one, application number one, grace. Jesus declares, I never knew you. At the root of all of this, at the root of all of this life is not hypocrisy, Right? We, we, we are called to a life that is not lived out in hypocrisy, but rather is lived out in a genuine relationship with God. As we described earlier, a relationship has certain expectations, certain things that we're called to. And a real relationship, a genuine relationship with God also has these sorts of expectations that we are called to follow him, that we are called to give him glory, to give him honor. You can have good theology. You can even have good works and still not be in relationship with him. You can have these things and not be in relationship. And so just like with all these other, with all the other 10 commandments, with all the other nine commandments, we have to go back to grace. We have to go back to grace because frankly, we aren't good enough. 
This commandment is laying out a full lifestyle of what it means to be one of God's people, and we have all fallen short. We have all fallen short. None of us lives the life. I, I began by talking about how I'm so uh, how I'm bad at the other nine commandments, but this one, th- this one, I, I felt like I nailed right. But that's not the case. That's not the case. We are in desperate need of grace, and that only comes through a relationship with God. The only way that we will be able to stand in the last day is if Christ is able to say, "I knew you." I knew you. We were in relationship together. You've enjoyed my grace because you weren't able to do it on your own. You weren't able to stand on your own two feet. You weren't good enough. And so you depended upon my grace. That's the way we'll be able to stand in the last day, only through a relationship that comes through Christ. Second point of, obedience, second point of application is obedience. Obedience. Jesus says, you workers of lawlessness, you workers of lawlessness, you can have good theology, you can have good works and not be in relationship with God. But if you have relationship with God, it should produce these other things. It should produce good theology. It should produce good works. It should produce obedience, living an obedient life, right? It's not enough It's not enough to give lip service to the name. It's not enough to say that we're followers of God. It's not enough to declare ourselves to be Christian if we don't actually know him and then if there's no actual follow-through and obedience in our life, right? We, We don't get to enter into relationship with God through our obedience, right? There's no way we can earn it. Rather, Christ is the one who paved the way. It's through Christ's obedience, through his perfect living out of the law, through his sacrificial death and resurrection that we can enter into relationship with God. But when we're in relationship with God, there should be obedience. We should be living lives that seek to honor him, that seek to make much of the name. Because when we make much of the name, we're making much of our God, Because when we make much of the name, we're making much of how great he is and how mighty he is and how he is worthy. That's what we're doing when we're living a life that seeks to make much of him. That's what we're called to with the third commandment. We're called to be citizens of the kingdom that reflect, that reflect in obedience to our king because he is worthy to be obedient to because it is right to live this way. So not taking the name, not taking the name in vain isn't just a matter then. It's not just a matter of avoiding a certain expression. Rather, it's a matter of how we live our lives. In it, we are called to shun lives of hypocrisy and to live lives that honor and embrace and make much of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning, Lord. I thank you for your word. God, I pray that we would truly, um, Father, that we would truly strive, God, to live lives of obedience to you, Father, that we would embrace your grace, Lord, that doesn't just save us, but even empowers us to live the obedient life, God, and that we would follow you, seeking to put to death the hypocrisy in our lives and live lives that genuinely honor you in everything that we do. God, I pray that you would 
clearly be exalted in everything we do and say. We pray this through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and stand for our benediction. Our benediction comes out of the book of Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Go in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and have a good day.